now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Hello, beautiful human. You made the right choice by tapping on our podcast and letting us into your ears. Because you're about to get to know a guy by the name of Jelly Roll. And he's easily one of the most fascinating people we've ever had on the show. And we've had thousands and thousands of guests on. We're going to talk everything from music to his time in prison to his family life and beyond. This man has face tattoos and gold teeth and I'm pretty sure he's like 400 pounds. We're gonna cover all of it. Get ready. If you wanna like ever learn about the musicians you love or find new music that you may love, Zach Sang shows the place. Thank you so much for giving us your time and energy today. Let's hop in, yeah? Cool. Here's Jelly Roll. Hello, beautiful human. My name is Zach. That is Dan. We welcome to the studio. Jelly Roll. Woo! Yeah, baby. I love it when I get a clap. Is it weird for me to say that you are, I don't want to limit anybody, and I really do believe that art should never be limited at all, and even the thought of it is really annoying to me, but is it weird to call you a pop star? You know, I would be honored if you called me a pop star because I've never been called a pop star. I, I mean, I think you're a pop star today, and if not today, you are genuinely and deeply on the path to becoming one. I mean, but it's weird to say that as you just started singing fairly recently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I just found my voice in the last few years. What changes in life for you to find, like what happens to find your voice? I don't know. It's kind of weird for me. I was just, I wasn't afraid to go for it one day. Yeah. It started with a drunken night in Nashville <laughs> at a bar called Wannabes. <laughs> and I got drunk and a guy convinced me to sing karaoke. We all have a go-to karaoke song. What? You have one? Yeah, I mean, Kelly Clarkson, Breakaway. Right, what's yours? Uh, Lion King soundtrack. Right, right yep. really, that wanna be a man. Yeah, because there's got like four different voices to sing on yeah, that it's one. awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah animated, yeah. I get it. So mine is um, Old Time Rock and Roll by Bob Seger, mm. right? So for me, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. So, you know, I start singing, and it's the first time somebody was like, yo, when you like squeeze your butt cheeks together and really go for it, you can sing. And I was like, hey, hey. <laughs> Maybe that's what I've been doing wrong. I haven't been clapping my ass. Is, it, like, is that what it genuinely physically takes to sing? Well, I, I tell you what, I, I do sing from the soul, so I definitely open up the hips and I let it rip, you know? <laughs> sure. What is it like the first time you find that? Because, like, singing is powerful. It is a release. I it mean, is. it has to be a built-up something. Oh, yeah. I have a song called Save Me that I just, like, belt the whole song. And I never felt better than screaming those words in that microphone. Like, it was like years of therapy happened in a studio session. Is it weird to think that somebody who's been writing poems since you were a kid, right? Yes, kid sir. in middle school, and you turn those into rap verses. Yes, sir. Is there a part of you that's like, why didn't I Why didn't I belt a little bit sooner? Yeah, no, a lot, for sure. And I think it's because we were in a family full of people who couldn't sing. So, But you didn't even know. So we didn't know. So, like, when we would all sing together, we sounded like a bunch of drunk alley cats. <laughs> So I got. A, I grew up in a big household, like three brothers, one sister, in mom, Nashville. dad, a couple of broke cousins on the couch. Yeah, like one of those scenarios. Super white trash. 
and we would all sing together and you know you couldn't decipher if any so we just assumed we all sucked because we sucked <laughs> as a unit you know what i'm saying so we nobody ever had like the nerve to do it you know solo <laughs> is it a surprise to them when they hear you sing for the first time just oh yeah a couple years yeah, ago yeah for sure they when save me first got released everybody was like what is going on do, do you feel like you tell your story more fully and clearly through singing or through rhyming and rapping god best question ever so when I'm rhyming, I have more words to tell a story. Mm. When I'm singing, I have more of a scale of emotion. And there's a simplicity to what you're, the lyrics, right? But yeah. you still try to convey, well, you're conveying emotion through your voice, but yep. lyrics, there needs to be some simplicity there. I don't know, for what? For, to be sung back or? Exactly. Well, exactly. And um, the cool idea of songwriting is that I have to find a way to capture an emotion and create a feeling in you as a listener and do it in so many words. Is it harder to write a song that is for your for you to sing or yes, for you to rap? For sure. Sing. Yeah. Just because I have less words. Yeah. It's like, you know, it'd be like if I said, tell me your life story on a in three pages, or tell me your life story in a paragraph. Yeah. You'd probably have to rewrite that paragraph a few times mm -hmm. before you were like, oh. I left out that part. Let me try it again. Oh, how did I blow that? Where if you had three or four pages, you'd probably, you know, you'd overwrite the story maybe. Yeah, you got you know space. I mean? Yeah. I mean, obviously your creative process has to totally change. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So The good news is I always loved writing songs. I just never sang them. So, like, I had a record in 2017 called Addiction Kills where I put a song out called Only that I only sang. I just sang through it, but it wasn't like save me singing i look back at my career and i was singing a lot i just didn't know i was singing interesting does that make sense 100%. Like I, was, I have a song i did in 2000 and i'm gonna say nine called riding all alone where the hook goes i wake up every day i hit my knees and pray my mind is filled with pain so many things have changed and that's how i did it in that moment to me i was just like playing with my voice in hindsight i was finding my voice right because today I just woke up and I am admittedly just a little bit, not a lot, but a tiny bit hungover. <laughs> so I won't sound great. But if I were to sing that today, I would sing it more like, I wake up every day. I hit my knees and pray. Right. I would, I would actually sing it. I would have sung it, yeah. but I didn't, I was already playing with the harmony or the melody of it anyway. You knew something you know, existed. Yeah, I just was scared to squeeze them butt cheeks, baby. <laughs> Were you finding yourself singing mostly on hooks, like for the hooks mm -hmm. of the song? Yeah, I'd rap the verses and sing the hooks. I mean, that's rap with hooks, right? Yep, that's, that's it, yep. Were you surprised that you found more success since Save Me and since you've decided to clench your butt cheeks and sing? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Compared to, you know, really crafting rap with hooks, which, by the way, in 2009, 10, whatever, which that's Captain Strange era for you, right? Yes, sir. So, I mean, that's really ahead of its time. like Or right on the money, right? Almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For me, this was... We were we were doing it before it was popularly cultural. Like, it's a thing now. Like, all of hip-hop exists with, sing, with songs. Totally. Hooks. Back then, hip-hop only existed with people singing hooks if you collabed with an R&B artist. Yes. Eminem and Rihanna, right? They did that in, like, 2011. Let me take this thing off. What happened? Hand. Well, I, I got an IV this morning because of the hungoverness we were talking about. Oh, got it. And I just realized when I was sitting here, I was like, people are going to think I'm fucking, you know. 
Some weird's happening. I was like, it's not, I was looking at it. It's not like, a good look. <laughs> what are you getting yourself into? <laughs> wonder how people think I'm just walking and shaking hands. I'm meeting Zach and Dan for the first time. I walk inside and me. They're like, what the f is on Dan? But by the way, at the end of the day, like that is, you have the means to just get an IV to cure your hangover, which I mean, compared to your hit, like a uh, long time ago, that's access to uh, a technology that you would never have oh, had before. Sure. I would have just had to lay somewhere and think I was going to die. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the only thing that's cursed me is now I drink knowing I have that ability. So it's not helping me a lot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's kind of how computers made us stupider. Yes, they it did. made me more of a drinker. It's like, ha I can fix this. You drink another one. <laughs> push yourself. Who cares? I got something important to do tomorrow. We'll just get the magic IV. <laughs> You're selling out the Troubadour this evening. Yes, That's I'm a excited. Huge deal. Yeah, I was I was telling you off camera that I um I got to play the Palladium before I got to play the House of Blue Sunset. Oh, oh wow! I was able to play the oh, Rainbow. RIP, oh by yeah, the way. for sure. I was able to play the Rainbow Room. I played the Roxy. My first show in LA was at the Roxy. Sick. I've got to do a guest slot at Whiskey a Go Go. Um, I've just never made it to the Troubadour. So when we were coming here, and I was like, we're doing, we're here for Kimmel. So, Mazel tov. Yep, yeah. yep, big day. So I was like, well, while we're down here, we're going to hang out with Zach. We're going to do Kimmel. I was like, can we please do a pop-up show at the Troubadour? It was like just me manifesting a dream. I was like, let's just do a pop-up show. Let's just do it. Let's just invite a bunch of people out. You know, let, we'll sell a couple tickets. But, like, let's just invite anybody in L.A. Because we don't come out here much, you know? And uh, sure enough, my my agent, Hunter Williams, loving to death, hit me right back and said, we got the Troubadour. I was like, don't lie to me, dude. He was like, we got the Troubadour Monday. I was like, lock it in. I mean, dude, it's easily, in my opinion, next to the forum, but like the, the best tiny sounding venue in, the best sounding like smaller scale venue in LA. Like if oh, you're yeah. going to do anything, anything in LA that's not like the forum in terms of sound, Troubadour is right next to the forum. It is the greatest venue of all time. Oh. The history that's on that stage. You know, it's wild. My favorite musicians are the singer songwriters of the 70s. Mm. And there's so much history at that venue. Like the history that lives at the Rainbow Room for rock and roll lives at the Troubadour for like outlaw country music and for like Bob Dylan yes. and James <laughs> Taylor. And this whole, like, this singer-songwriter movement that was spawning out. You are country-adjacent. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, dude, Zach, I'm from Nashville. Yeah. So it's like, if I go sing Sweet Child of Mine at a karaoke bar right now, somebody from Los Angeles go, look at that country motherfucker making Sweet Child of Mine country. <laughs> you know, just because it's how I talk, it's the twang. So it's always going to be a little flair in my, in what I do. So naturally, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a country boy at heart, for sure. Do you feel like leaning into using your voice allows you a larger platform to tell your story than you've ever had before. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, really when I look back, like you, you even talk about it, you, you got into a really funny, but also kind of famous lawsuit with Waffle House. Yeah. And, and that was huge national exposure <laughs> yeah, at the time. Sure, and that was your big takeaway. <laughs> you were like, this is, this is kind of cool. It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I hold no grudge. I ate at Waffle House on the way here when leaving Nashville. It was my last drunken meal before I got on the plane. Whiskey, Weed, and Waffle House. Yeah. The mixtape in 2013. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. You end up changing the name, though. To Whiskey, Weed, and Women per Waffle House's Bulldog Lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> so that gives you a moment of really intense national press, right? Yep. 
because it's you versus them in this really heated battle. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, are you nervous at all? Or are you just like, I'm going to milk this for what it's oh, worth? Oh, I thought it was the funniest shit ever. You know, <laughs> you, where, are you, where are you from? I'm from New Jersey. Okay, where are you from? I'm from Philadelphia. Okay, so not, Waffle Houses are now up there. I went to a Waffle House outside of Philadelphia recently. They're really? making their way up They're north. making their way up the coast. It's fucking awesome. I seen one. I was like, we're stopping right now. And so even though you were like enemies with these people. Oh, yeah, I was still eating there all the time. <laughs> If you've ever been to a Waffle House at midnight, I am the demographic. I'm it. I'm the guy, right? It's like, if you've ever seen a Waffle House cook, he's got an ankle bracelet on, he's on parole, he's got tattoos, he's got a pack of cigarettes in his front pocket of his, of his little cooking thing. Like, I'm that guy. You know, in was, hindsight, you could be the perfect spokesperson. Dude, I felt like I could have been there, Jared, from Subway without the allegations. Right? You know what I'm, so. I'm just, like, seeing those commercials in my head. <laughs> I feel like they missed their biggest opportunity. They they screwed over their biggest fan. <laughs> See, so much so that even though they've screwed you, you still go back. Oh yeah, dude. I'm a. I got uh, what's it called? Stockholm syndrome. Right. It's like just, <laughs> you just want to feel a little bit more pain every it's time. Just, uh, just 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 scatter, smother, cover, and chuck me one more time. <laughs> I know I'm not welcome here, and I know I'm gonna shit green all day tomorrow. Oh, Jesus. It's true. Just, man, <laughs> Just one more play. I'll take uh, one to go. I say that to say you now are in the spotlight in the biggest way. I mean, but since the release of this music that has really touched people in places that, I mean, you're doing Kimmel. Yeah, this is wild, by the way. It's absolutely massive. And yeah. as mainstream as it comes. Right. Was that even on the list of dreams or possibilities? Like, that's what I'm really wondering, too, is like, what did you wish for or hope for in your career well i was just telling the my label that what i've taken away from this last year and i hope this inspires somebody listening to this i thought my dreams were too big and they were too small mm -hmm. right wow. like i i just dreamed to play the grand Ole opry i just dreamed to like as a street kid i just dreamed not to have to risk my freedom to provide for my daughter because I felt limited in options. You know what I mean? I was a felon at a young age. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I was like, I just want to provide for my daughter without risking my freedom or, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't want to go to prison no more, really. And I'd love to play the Grand Ole Opry. I'd love to sell enough CDs, you know, because I didn't see streaming coming when I started dreaming, right? I was like, <laughs> I'd love to sell enough CDs to just survive and you know, I'd love to play, like, the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. Like, this was my dream list, you know? When did you realize, I mean, twofold. One, you ride the LimeWire wave early on. Oh, yeah. Which is really interesting. Yes, you release mixtapes over there. Yes, sir. Um, Got to YouTube early, too. Yeah, I mean, that's pioneers of those platforms. Yes, sir. Are They think different. I mean, we were one of them, you know? Oh, yeah. I did the same thing with streaming. Needed. So, I was very, like, I was having conversations with local rappers in my city. And um, they were like, hey, man, we need to find a way to get you a barcode before shelves don't <laughs> exist. And I was like, you got to find a way to get on YouTube before shelves don't exist. That's you know it. what I mean? Like, I was, like, very understanding of that early. You know what I mean? At what point, I mean, being in jail and having, I mean, really, at what point you tweet that selling drugs was easier than working in the music business? Yeah. Yeah. Is that still true today? Sometimes. 
It feels more. It felt like more. Sometimes you know how the business is. That was a stress tweet, by the way. <laughs> I'm guilty of those every now and then. Stress tweets and it's drunk okay. tweets are the death of me. But um, sometimes the music business can be so overwhelming, and so at least in the drug business, there was it felt more of an honest exchange. Interesting. It's something I appreciate about what you've done in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Was the way you built your thing, right? It's Thanks. like, yeah, it's, it's nothing short of incredible, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you probably have had to fight the arts versus commerce fight behind okay. the scenes all day. Yeah, and it's really day. ugly. Nobody knows how ugly that gets, right? Yeah. Ownership, how important IPs are, and you're like, dude, I fucking built this out of my basement. 100%. You know what I'm saying? It's you're extension like, of your being. It's it's yeah. more than livelihood. And, and, and by the way, I think some people get it mixed like with – they go like it's a career. No, no, no. It's like an extension of one's physical and personal and mental being. One hundred percent. I tell people our business isn't a job. It's a life. Yeah. It's, it's a. This is my life. I don't take off the jelly roll suit at the door like Eleanor Rigsby in the Beatles song and set the mask there and then I just you know like I. This is who I am all day every day. I'm. I am. I. This is so much more to me than commercial viability. Right, like this is everything I believe in. This is my legacy. These are the songs that will live a hundred years after I do. Mm-hmm. And I find myself having to argue about five percent of a royalty with a dude that doesn't deserve it. It's so frustrating, right? That is, and to be honest, one the fact that anyone argues with you is ridiculous. <laughs> Only over the phone. <laughs> <laughs> At what point do you realize that music is even an option? To provide a serious option to provide for your daughter and to really provide like a light to a path that could lead to, I mean, wherever the, I mean, so much bigger than where you're at even today. Let me ask you this. From what I know of your story, it's similar to mine. Did you ever think of wanting to do or be anything other than this? No, this is the only thing I've ever imagined doing. I mean, there's been moments, and I'm always honest, like there's been moments in the last like, year or so where I do question whether or not this is the right path and every time the universe pushes my foot right back into line right and it just reaffirms to me that this is like exactly yeah it's exactly what I was meant to do when did I realize it was what I was meant to do probably like maybe years into it though right you know but like that's but that's that, all you wanted to do. Oh, totally. So oh it's my like God, yes. very similar story. My mother shows me one of these first grade things, right? You know, where like, you know, kids are writing like they wanted to be a professional wrestler or fireman. Or, you know, shit people want to be when they're the first grade. I wrote rapper. Unfortunately, I wrote it with one P, right? <laughs> Which is why I've never posted it. But <laughs> it's that spelling error. Yeah, but it could come off really wrong. You know what I'm saying? But I, she shows me this the other day, and I'm like, it's all I've ever wanted to be. When I thought it could really, because I've been passing out mixtapes since I was 15 in high school. Yeah, 14 in high school. I get that. Wow. When I knew it was gonna work out. Or I felt like it was it was when I came home from. So the part of my story that's my favorite part to tell is my Damascus Road experience, as the Southern Baptist preacher would say, would be when I was in jail in 2008, they knocked on my cell door on May 22nd and told me that my daughter was born that morning. 
I had heard that a woman had got pregnant while I was out between jail. Cause you know, I'd been in jail, came home for a few months and went back to jail. And I remember sitting in my cell that day going, this is it. I've got to figure this out. Like I had a, I had a really good father. He was a hustler. He was a blue collar guy, meat salesman, book bets on the side, but he was a good man. And I was like, I got to do this. I got to figure this out. So as soon as I started calling my dude, Chad arms from jail and I was like, yo, Set me up a Facebook page because MySpace was transitioning <laughs> to Facebook. This is 2008, yeah. right? 2007. <laughs> so I'm like, yo, set me up a Facebook page. I was like, yo, set me up a YouTube thing because I'm hearing about the desktop of YouTube, right? I'm like, you had to go to the desktop back then. And I'm like, yo, when I come home, let's figure this out. So touchscreen phones had just came out. <laughs> Literally. They were so new, I rapped about it in a song, like bragging. <laughs> I listen to that now, and it's so funny, because I'm like, been out of jail for a day and got a touchscreen. Like, that was a big deal for me. I went to jail, no touchscreen. Came home, touchscreen phone. And By the way, the changing of times. Yeah, like, it was happening while I was sitting in there, you know. That's um, crazy. President Obama got elected for prayer. I mean, it was a wild year, yeah. right? It was a wild year. And you're literally, I I'm mean. watching this from cell block four. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And, and are you just ruminating and, like, trying to uh, understand? I'm, I'm writing crazy. Really? I wrote a thousand raps. I didn't write one rap until the day my daughter was born. I just sat in jail, like, gambling and running the poker table, <laughs> just being a prisoner. You know, just like, you know, whatever, getting involved in all the bullshit that happens in jail. And uh, I just started writing. I enrolled in the uh, education program right after that, got my GED. It was like a light switch of like, oh, shit, I'm responsible for a human. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I came home, and my dude, Chad Arms, I always shout him out because he means so much to me. He had bought a handy cam from Best Buy, <laughs> right? So he was like, all right, turns on a beat. I've been out of jail for like a day. And he's like, Turns on a piece, like, just rap. And I rapped, and he chopped it up, put it on YouTube, and that was the beginning of... That's wow. whenever I was like, I knew that's what I was meant to do at that moment because everywhere I would go in the neighborhood, they didn't treat me like the drug dealer. Now. They treated you like the musician. They treated me like the musician. Was that the 10-minute freestyle? That was it. Dude, that, that is so sick. Yes, that sir. is when you said, uh, if my P.O.S. I hang drywall. Yeah, I'm going to send y'all some P.O.S. I hang drywall shirts. <laughs> sick. Yes. Yeah, I'll make sure uh, John or Kate get y'all's info before we leave. I'll get it too. We'll swap numbers. I'd love to be friends for real. Yes. But, um, yeah, I want to send y'all some shirts. I still sell those shirts. Oh, I would love one. want to hear a funny story? Yeah. So <laughs> I put that freestyle up. It got like... A million views or something, which back then... I, Huge. I, That's insane. bigger than me. That's Dude, let me tell you what they called viral. You remember World Star when it was big in like 2009? Me and Little White put out a video called Pop Another Pill, and we sent it to World Star, and we were like, this video's fixing to go big. And they were like, first time I ever heard the word viral, 2009. World Star emails back and goes, we only post videos if you pay or if they go viral. And we were like, well, how much and what's viral? They told us how much we were like, out of the question. And they were like, viral is 30,000 views in a week. Wow. That's, That's what they considered viral on YouTube <laughs> was if you did 30,000, 40,000 views in a week. We did like 50,000 in six days and sent it and they posted it. And World Star ended up posting like 10 videos for me after that. But yeah, that's that's how crazy that was. So we put the freestyle up. It does a million views in a few months. It's like one of the biggest videos on YouTube at the time ever. My PO calls me to court. Uh, they make me take the video down. What? Like, Why? Said I was making a mockery of the judicial <laughs> system. Because the line P.O. Ask I Hang Drywall was like, it was the line. Yeah. It was like the line in the... So I, I rapped for 10 minutes, and I said a bunch of cool shit. 
But this is the line that people were like, it was crazy. So I took it down. They they told me to take it down until I got off of house arrest. Because I was still on like halfway house, house arrest. Got it. When I came off, we re-uploaded it, and I started selling P.O. Ask I Hang Drywall shirts. I've been selling those shirts for 13 years. Holy shit. <laughs> True story. So are you glad that they had you take it down, or do you wish well, they didn't? I just I can only imagine what it would have done. If, if it kept that, going. God, dude, that could have been a 50, 60, 80 million view video. Yeah. Man. It definitely lost some. It's still quite a few million views. but are Where you, it was in the growing process. Yeah, that's. Yeah. Me and Little White have a song that's big, pretty big on Spotify called And the Band Plays On. And the only reason it's big on Spotify is because it was like, you know, we were one of the first albums. Not like one of the first first. No, but like you one were of one first, of the first up there. A couple thousand albums on Spotify. So the song organically ended up on a lot of weird kind of algorithms and playlists. You know what I mean? You know you can make music. You know that you can rap. And then really once you go to prison, it, it pauses. And then your child is born. Yeah. And it reengages, but in a new way. That it's, same little girl is 14 years old. Wow. My wife and I have had full custody of her for seven years. Uh, she's with me Congrats. every day. That's awesome. She would have been in L.A., but she's with her mom. It's amazing. It's wild. I mean, art did that, right? Yeah. Like just, just telling us, you know, what's your story? story? Helping people. That's the coolest part. You feel that your story helps people? Yes. Oh, dude, I hear it every day, and it means. I always said I make music for people, not money, and I've learned that a byproduct of people listening is you'll make some money. Which is why I am one of the artists that love the streaming era because I'm not asking you for money. Yeah. You're not, giving it away. I'm not pushing you to the point of purchase. It's like, yo, if you like it, please listen. If you really like it, share it. It's not you know? that much to ask. Yeah, for sure. It's like, yo, if, it, if, if you quit it, just listen. For at least three-fourths of the songs. That's how I get paid, I think. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know? Do you feel like it's your job or responsibility to help kids to not make the same mistakes you made growing up? Yeah. And how do you go about doing that? Well, I have multiple avenues of it. One is just through the music itself. I get messages from fans every day that say, hey, man, save me, help me get sober. Hey, I, I, was, I sat in my room with a loaded gun and was considering killing myself, and I put on a playlist that I was going to die to, and I just kept listening to this and crying and realized I wasn't alone. And this is what I tell people. I get emotional saying this. If I get a 1,000 of those messages a year, and 999 of them are telling a fish story, right? They're, they're, they're making a five-ounce bass, a 12-pounder, right? But one of them's telling the sworn truth. It's worth it. Oh, my God, dude. I have to keep writing songs for that person. Mm -hmm. I don't have a choice. Who do you think about when you make music? Well, I still think about my mother. But I also think about, you know, these, these messages, these people, these faces and these crowds every night, the pain. I think about, you know... I've went to funerals where fans have hit me up and been like, hey, man, you know, my cousin died of an overdose. We live in Kentucky, an hour up the street. You don't know how much it would change our town and all the people that do drugs would help just, like, bring notice to this if you would just stop by. You know, and I'm like, yeah, I'll swing by. That's who I think about when I write songs. Do you think we're going through an epidemic right now? Oh, for sure. Yeah, at least the lower class community is. Totally. Middle class and lower middle class and then lower class. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like even for me, I say this as a joking, but it's the truth. The day of doing cocaine with a stranger in the bathroom's over. Yeah. I used to enjoy that. That used to be one of my favorite pastimes, right? You know, you just bump into a guy that's like, hey, you want to party? And I'm like, yeah, let's party. 
you just can't. It, it's so up. Yeah. You know, and the sad part is most of these people have no clue that, you know, and the saddest part is I've watched so many addictions start because of doctors. Oh. That's what hurts the soul the most. <laughs> you know, where a guy, you know, breaks an ankle and a doctor gives him an Oxycontin. Yeah. And the dude's ankle hurts, you know, he's going through it. He f- eats them. When the, when the script's up, you're hooked on them. And that's why I do genuinely believe it is in, it, it preying on the middle, lower middle, and lower class, sure. right? By people who are in positions like pharmaceutical reps and pharmaceutical companies and doctors who are incentivized to write scripts. Yep. I mean, even down to not legalizing cannabis. Yes, 100%. There's, I mean, And, and I'm sad. in the Bible Belt, so, you know, I'm still going through it. We're still not even medical in the same breath the amount of times narcan is probably used in a single day mm-hmm. is overwhelming and i mean it's taking lives no it is literally but it is for the the good of the people on top like i think that's what people 100%. like people forget that like everybody just thinks like no nobody wins this is a terrible thing uh, lies it's actually imposed no for it. sure yeah this isn't why would this work it's yeah no there's a whole elite group of people who are just continuing to profit off of it. There's a system in place. No, it's so sad. So that's, I'm so pat. That's one thing I I'm passionate about mm-hmm. helping through the music. The second thing that I do is I put my money where my mouth is. I help at risk youth. I donate lots of money to at risk youth programs around my city. We're doing a show in Nashville on uh, December 9th. I'm playing my hometown arena. Uh, Bridgestone? My, yep, Bridgestone Arena, Papa. Yes. Dude, I would... <laughs> Casual. That's a childhood dream, yeah? <laughs> yeah, childhood I went to that. When they built that in 96, Phil Bredesen announced it, my father, like, came in and, like, cracked a scotch bottle for it. He was like, all right, boys, the town's changing. We're getting a proper arena. Listen, we didn't know anything about hockey. We got the Predators in 99. Me and my dad was there at a hockey game. Everybody's drunk. Rednecks are screaming wild shit. They don't know what they're watching. Yeah, you're like, I- Love hockey. <laughs> yeah, it's like hockey's the shit. Back then, you could get a ticket to a hockey game for like two cans of potatoes and beans and like a bag of rice and a pack of bubble gum, and you could sit on the ice pretty much. You could put your face on the glass for like $17. It's funny, but like a, a, a stadium does change an entire it city. Dude, it was a big deal. Yeah. You know, it was like, I'll never forget my dad. I was like, it was like, shut up. They're talking about the arena. Like the whole house got quiet and all 30 of us huddled around the TV to watch our mayor like declare our life was fixing to change because this arena was being built. And now I'm getting to headline it. And first, I know y'all are busy people, but I would be so honored if you'd be my guest that night. When are you, what, what day? It's December the 9th. Oh, I'll definitely come yeah, to town for December that. December 9th. And uh, it'd be cool because you could come with me. We're going to go speak at the juvenile that morning. Oh, amazing. Talk to the kids. And we're going to give away 100% of the money to building a program inside of that same juvenile I was incarcerated in. And we're partnering with the Youth Impact Outreach to build an aftercare program where the judge will court mandate kids to go to this program. Me and a guy named Robert Sherrill, who's another ex-convict who's built a bunch of independent entrepreneurial businesses. So we're going to mix his business sense with my creative sense. And we're going to create a place for kids to come and seek refuge outside of their neighborhoods and try to build on. So when I was 15, 16, 16 years old, I committed a crime. I'm super not proud of this. I'm embarrassed to talk about it, but it's important to talk about that. I, the state of Tennessee deemed me to be charged as an adult. They can ch- really hurt somebody and impact somebody's life. I was years away from being able to f- be allowed to vote or buy a pack of cigarettes, but you were ch- sending me to adult prison <sighs> and you were giving me a non expungible felony. 
no forgiveness it's for violent forever. offenses in the state of Tennessee. There's nothing I can do about it. Can right? you vote today? I cannot vote. Wow. I could not rent houses. I could not work in the medical field if I decided to be a doctor tomorrow. I could. I, I don't even want to go on the list. I could list 50 things this prohibits me from, right? And not even right. the, like, questionable stuff. Like, you know, like, this is, like, just core American rights that I've been restricted. I can't go to – I'll never be able to go to Canada. I'll, they'll probably never let me in New Zealand. What? Uh, I just got a passport for the first time because my felony is, like, 20 years old. I had to fight to get a passport. Tennessee has a zero forgiveness policy for violent offenses. I'm working hand in hand to have a meeting with our governor to see if I can get a pardon. God willing. I'm speaking that into existence now. I hope that happens. I mean, if there's any, I I mean, you understand the state from every different perspective and level. Yes, sir. And it's one, I think the governor's duty to take a meeting with, with a constituent, but also in the same breath, if they want to actually do their job properly and grow closer to the people talking to you is, should be top on the list. That is absolutely horrendous. No, it's awful. And it's like, I'm embarrassed. I, I made a horrible decision. And I regret it every day of my life. It also began what was the revolving door of the judicial system for me for the next 10 years after that. I spent eight out of the next 10 years locked up in and out of jail, six months in, four months home, year in, just in this revolving door because by then I'm a felon. I don't think I have any chance to do anything with my life. I'm, now I'm doubling down on criminal stuff because once you charge me as an adult, so I'm so passionate about helping those kids. It, it is incredibly vitally important for those programs like the ones you're creating to exist. But also they took your childhood away from you and they put you in prison in your most formidable years. So the concept that you wouldn't be in and out of the system after that is kind of like laughable to me. Insane. Like you're taking somebody when they're a sponge exactly. and you're saying go be in easily one of the worst places probably in Tennessee literally and just you you when you have a kid from a middle and lower class community that already feels really limited in his options because you're, of his environment alone you're destroying them and then you give him a felony at you're, 16 15 it's over yeah, but that's the system that's it that's the system it's the because they made money every day I was there yeah right? somebody was getting rich by the way off of your parents being back home paying taxes, which is even the worst. Yeah, for sure. No, 100%. It's been <laughs> so tough. It's been it, the, the whole system has just been sad to watch unfold. So I want to be a part of the change. So we're going to give 100% of the Bridgestone money away. I'm going to match whatever that number is Amazing. with my own money because I hate when artists fundraise money but don't put up money. <laughs> mm-hmm. It fucking infuriates. Everybody me. give except for me. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. I just, well, I mean, I came. Oh, <laughs> Great job, John. Super cool that you showed up and played your guitar for a fucking hour and think you did this great deed and took a picture with a big check you didn't write. Corny. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know. So what are these programs going to be? Are they going to be, it, it sounded twofold. Are they commu- after school programs that are like after, community centers? Well, it's directly responsible for aftercare of juvenile. Got it. So I want to catch these. Well, one of my big goal is to build something inside of the juvenile because oh, I was nice. in that same juvenile facility for like eighteen months one time, waiting to get bound over for the adult charge. Wow. My first goal is to build something inside of there, and my second one is to help me and Robert Sherrill are already working on this youth impact outreach program that he has, where they have a building on one of the sides of town. We're gonna try to build another one closer to my old side of town. Great. And the goal is to work hand in hand with the state. And the judge will court order kids as an aftercare program to come to our care. And he'll offer entrepreneurial trade services like teach people HVAC and 
you know, skill sets for life and how to be entrepreneurs. I'll set up music programs in there and studios, guitars, guitar lessons, kind of a creative art studio, places where people can paint, podcast, build shows, write scripts. You but know see, what I mean? Like putting one, directing kids depend, like, to a facility like that is, it allows somebody to tap into potential. I, I always say that talent is equally distributed in America, but opportunity isn't. Mm. And, everybody so many have the potential within them but nobody's tapping it right because honestly like it's not profitable to tap it yes it's not profitable to those above to tap it right no. so to create situations and uh, to create centers like that i mean i mean the most good like yeah. you have the ability to i mean who knows the potential for what that facility has to create and give back to society yeah. i mean it's it's well, it's like last to, generations to me. It's imagine that you never have a kid that has ever seen an example of somebody doing any kind of success. And then you put them in a room where there's tons of people who have had success. Give him tools to show. Yeah. You're just, you're just showing the kid it's possible might change his whole fucking life. You, you are the company you keep. 100%. Right. So if you're going and I say this about schools, right. And you make the case that schools should be doing exactly this each and every day and facilitating these opportunities and unlocking potential that exists in kids because if you are around greatness and people are encouraging you and you're with like-minded people and people like yourself and people that that elevates human beings and gives them new ways of thinking that they could have never even thought was was possible for sure if you hang around nine long enough you will be the 10th yeah gosh yeah you're gonna change a lot of lives. Oh man, I sure hope so, Bubba. That's that's the big part of what what I'm doing this for. D if I was doing this for money, I'd have quit ten years ago when it didn't look like I was ever gonna make any. Truth, drugs. Or I'd have quit a year ago when I could have sold my catalog and bought a beach house. Is that know? true? Well, I've been lucky enough that I've maintained ownership of my masters. <laughs> so you can sell them whenever you want. I can do kind of whatever I want. Do you feel like you've had to go through everything you went through to get to this point? This point, though, oh, like for sure, yeah. Like, I feel like everything happens for a reason. Yep. As much as it probably sucked and you never want to relive it, like, where would you be if it didn't happen to you? For sure. No, I just, I couldn't imagine, you know, the person I would be yeah. otherwise, you know. How open are you with your daughter about everything? Oh, incredibly, scarily. Really? Yeah, she's a little rock and roll baby. I wish she was here. She would have flipped out. You know, she knows y'all. She would have went nuts. What's her name? It's like Bailey Ann. Her name's Bailey, but I call her Bailey. Ann. Named Bailey. after your wife? Yeah, huh? You have a wife named Bailey, yeah? Well, no, no, no. My wife's uh, Bunny. Bunny. Bunny and Bailey. Yeah, Bunny and Bailey's, Bailey. Bailey's my, my, my little micro mini pimp. She's uh, a... <laughs> I've been calling her that since she was seven. And I didn't realize how bad it was until now she's 14. And her pull up to pick her friends up. School. I'm like, micro mini pimp. And I'm like, ooh. Yeah, no. <laughs> That's awesome. I say in complete humor. Just you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, yeah, she's a uh, she's awesome. I'm super open with her. Well, her mother. I got to tell this. Give me a minute because I don't want to tell half the story. Okay. It's wrong to not share it in full. Her mother had a struggle with heroin. Her mother, in typical sense, started taking Lord tabs for a back. She had fibromyalgia or something, and some great doctor. Feeds are like Lortab 10s or something, you know what I mean? And then, like, you're just going to live on those the rest of your life. Yeah. Eventually, they're not doing the job. She cricks up to Roxy's, kicks up to Oxy's. It turns into a heroin addiction. We've we've seen the story. Right? I mean, I, so sad, but li dozens of millions of people. Literally. Yeah. And she gets in trouble with the law. 
her and her partner. And me and my wife are just getting together. Like, we're in, like, the honeymoon date, get drunk every night, been together. I'm touring, like, trying to figure my life out. I'm sleeping in a van. Part of my life. Maybe eight years ago. And uh, I sit my wife down and I go, hey, I know we're just starting to date, but, like, I'm going to have to go get custody of my daughter. Like, I got to get her out of that situation. She said, I'm all in. My wife puts the money up. Helps me to get a place, get a bed. We go to the courts. We get full custody of Bailey. Because I was a broke $100 a night musician, you know, playing anywhere I could play. Mm-hmm. You know, and my wife was very successful in the sex working industry in Vegas. How awesome is that, that she's down to take that journey? Like, down. that's, yeah, she's like. signed up blind. I mean, that's a light. Like, that's for yeah. life, right? Yeah, when somebody life, does that. For sure. And uh, we ended up just jumping in at that point. We just got married straight <laughs> up, like, or like. 10 weeks into dating we go get full custody of bailey together and we've had full custody of her for those eight years now i'm proud to say that bailey's mother is sober has been for 18 20 months she gets she's got her now that's where she's at now she's spending some of the summer with her so she's got her shit completely together now so i'm really proud of that part of the story which was there was a four-year part that was scary because we just didn't hear from her at all she just disappeared off earth Every day you spend thinking you're going to have to tell your child you got the call. Dead, you know? Yeah. So because of that, I just made a decision with Bailey early to sit her down and not lie and go, listen, man, your mother is struggling with a disease called addiction. And I'll explain it to you more and more as you get older. But it's it's just, it's, 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 it's sad. Mm-hmm. And while she's dealing with this, you're with me. And then as she got older, by the time she's 11 or 12, she's like, all right, explain to me this addiction thing again. So, like, every year I'd have to re-explain addiction to her in the 11-year-old form, the 10-year-old form, the (laughs) 11-year-old form, the 12-year-old form. And now she's 14, so she, like, totally gets it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know? So, because of that, I was just open with her about everything. She knew I was in jail when she was incarcerated. She hears, you know, the story. So, she, she totally, like... It's cool, man. Because of that, she's like the coolest kid ever. That's, That's awesome. There's a beauty in being able to share those stories, especially where it's all come to you today. But also, like, that's it's information that she needs as right. a human being, right? And as, a, I mean, somebody who's I mean, hard, the hardest conversation you've ever had with somebody? Yeah. Right? Telling her that your story? 100%. The hardest one was telling her, completely about her mother's story yeah that's that was like trying to explain to an Mm eight-year-old why the police called her the police showed up at the house one day and i had like because it was like one of those movie scenarios where i knew her mother was on drugs but i thought she had it kind of under control enough for me to like because i was like i was just buying time in my mind like please god just let me get a little further down the road let me just get a little more money together and get a little more stability. Just, just you know, I'm like, just I'm going to see her all the time. I'm getting her out of there as much as I can. My family's picking her up. Let me just, let me just try to figure it out. But it ends up happening like it always happens. Like the police call, like, hey, are you Bailey's father? Yeah, you got like 20 hours to come. Like, I'm sad to say this. This is how this, this is how the state is. You got like X amount of hours to claim the kid, or the kid just goes straight into state custody. And you have to fight for the kid. what yeah it's like insane like almost like you know like hey if you don't claim your luggage while it's going around the carousel i mean literally but if that doesn't again further proof that the system is deliberately set up 
for you to just be thrown into a larger system that is for profit. 100%. That is so no, remarkably it's like no up. window. You know, so yep. we go and then we have to file an emergency ex parte hearing to get in front of a judge. And then we have to, you know, go through a bunch of channels to get full custody. And, you know, with me and the wife being married, it was easier because, you know, I was married, stable. How does that change how you make music after, you know, going through that entire process? Well, I used to think selling drugs was a victimless crime because me and Struggle talk about this all the time, my best friend, because he, he went to prison for like five years for like a 100 kilo of cocaine conspiracy case. And we used to look at it like it was a victimless crime until he's seen the way it affected his kids and I've seen the way it affected mine. So when I was selling cocaine or I was selling crack, I never once in my mind thought I was doing a bad thing. I was providing. These people were going to buy it anyways, you know? Um, at least I'm taking care of family with the money, you know? And at least I know I'm giving them something that won't kill them. I was like justifying my own horrible actions. And then you watch an eight-year-old cry because her mother's gone and she can't get her on the phone and she's living with her dad right and you have this clear moment of like this is the victim of this crime that's who you're hurting yeah you just never you never think about the people that's affecting like their families as well for sure what what do you say to somebody who's selling drugs well the first thing i'll tell them is and this is important to say is that i understand i get i don't judge you I know what it feels like when you don't feel like you have another option and that's that's it. This is this is your life. Then I will follow that up by saying there are so many more options, so much more money, such a better night's sleep in front of you, so much less risk. Because, I mean, listen, you're playing Tom and Jerry with the police, the robbers, the killers, the roaches, and the rats every day doing that. You know, I sleep like a kitten, normally because I drink myself to sleep. But either way, I sleep really well at night. And there was a long time I didn't. And that's what I would tell a drug dealer now is that there's and here's another thing. I've never met a dumbass in jail. Interesting. Yeah, I just met dudes that that just wasn't smarter than twenty five police to get paid fifty thousand dollars a year to beat them at their own game. That's it. You know, that's it. But I never met the smartest, most talented people ever I met in prison. But they had no other option. Mm -mm. They felt like they had no other option, and they didn't realize how smart they really were. And this is, again, talent is equally distributed in America. Opportunity isn't. It's like, what the f***? For sure. I watched a dude one time. His name was Hitman. This is a true story. We were cellmates in Blackwood in Nashville. He got arrested for a robbery murder case that he did not do. He just, he was a street dude, but he was just one of them rare occurrences of he was in the neighborhood. It just, all things pointed towards him, but he really didn't do it. So he claimed. He went to the law office every single day from the moment he could to the moment he went to sleep to the law library. He ended up filing his own motion, representing himself and turning his case over Giving back like what they in jail they call it giving back gave back like a hundred years, and came home. Baller. Wow! Literally, like that, I mean, this dude is a fucking genius, I right? Did. Now he didn't know he's a genius neither until his back got put completely against yeah. the wall. He didn't have any money. He was indigent. Nobody in his family had anything. No lawyer would take his appeal. If he had a proper school to go to every day and like some proper yeah. guidance that like unlock that or po- yes. put his back up against the wall in a different way or a different light for a different situation, 
I mean, uh-huh. tested him. Like, Literally. Yeah. yeah. His name was Hitman. We ended up calling him Lawman. <laughs> What's up, Lawman? He didn't read nothing, but he was just dead. Every day, he, wrote, he hand wrote out his own appeal. That's amazing. And, and gave the time back. What do we? I've never seen a county jail celebrate the way we did the day they called his name. Wow. The day they called him to grab his shit. That place, you would have thought the Titans won the Super Bowl <laughs> in South Nashville. He worked for it. They, we went crazy. We, it went, dude, they had to, they came in and threatened to pepper spray us. We <laughs> celebrated him all the way to the door. He took, he stood up, stood on a table, bowed. I mean, it was a big moment, you know? I'll never forget, I, but I have so many stories of those dudes in jail, you know? Some of the best singers and songwriters ever. Some of the best, dude. Poker players? I've had some dudes in there that I was like, I would finance you to go to the World Series. <laughs> wow. Like, I would give you the quarter million dollar startup if I could. Because I think you would go bring it all the way home. And those are stories that need to be told. Oh, yeah. Because I, stereotypes exist, right? And everybody, a majority of people, I think, maybe not majority, I think it, it, it gets smaller and smaller every time. With every passing month, every passing day. The stereotype gets less and less, but people think that criminals are criminals are criminals, right? Right. And they don't possess talent. They don't possess potential. They don't have special gifts. They are not additions to society, but subtractions. Right. When the reality is, it is totally fucking opposite. Polar opposite. And because they're victims to the system, that's their biggest burden to us. 100%. That's what hurts us the most, is that we're paying for people we're incredibly gifted and talented. Tons of money. And what's even worse is we're not just paying for them to go. We're paying so some private company can profit off of it. Oh, totally. <laughs> That's the part that really blows my mind is how much of prison is private sector, right? That it's like that you're charging the government and taxpayers money $500 a day to house an inmate to a company that made $3 billion profit and last year. Everybody knows that every politician that has a hand in making those decisions is getting kickbacks incredibly 100%. deep. And by the way, because of the money that they're making off of those kickbacks, they're able to provide a, a, an opportunity for their family only yeah. to have a different set of reality and to have people poke and unleash their talent, yeah. right? And have access to opportunity that every other one of their constituents may not have, definitely doesn't have. For sure. You know what I'm it's, saying? It's like, it goes back to the war on drugs. You've probably heard this a thousand times, but the news flash is we lost. Drugs won. <laughs> the war's over. Drugs we continue gotta, to win every day. We got to figure out a way to re, you know. Uh, my dude says it best. He was like, he got a, um, he has a song, Corey Smith, about um, getting pulled over in a small town. And the cop was like, Hey, man, we're just making sure the streets are safe. His wife was his DD, but he still cussed out the cop. Like, you're not making sure the streets are safe, dude. You're just here to get money off of DUI. Totally. And he was like, no, we're making sure the streets were safe. He said, if you was making sure the streets were safe, you'd be giving out free breathalyzers in front of that bar before people got in their car and mm-hmm. offering a ride share service. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's like so real. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, you know, he's like, it's such a real thing. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like if we were taking the war on drugs <laughs> serious, right, we would be doing more spending time trying to regulate the drugs themselves and uh, figure out, you know what I mean? Like, go after uh, doctors prescribing like banshees. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. 
expunge all yeah. nonviolent drug offenses 100%. immediately, yeah. allow cannabis, uh, people who are attached to cannabis offenses, release them from prison immediately, yes. federally legalize cannabis immediately, yeah. 100%. make <laughs> cannabis accessible to local communities. Yes. So instead of managing pain as you come off of whatever intense ibuprofen or painkillers that you have been on, yeah. you utilize cannabis as a way to, you know, see yourself off For of it. Sure. I mean, yeah. way better than methadone. Yeah, literally scientifically better than almost any other drug out there. One hundred percent fact. But you know, until those people who are profiting off of the prison systems and off of the DUI, you know, tickets that are given out or DUI charges, until they can profit off of cannabis, it's not worth it to them. Right. And that's what's up. Yeah, you know why? You can't regulate it the way that you could regulate liquor. Because, like, in order for you to, like, you think about the prohibition era of liquor, you had to, like, go in the woods and fucking really yeah. do some shady shit to figure out a way to make some liquor. Bathtubs. Dude, I can literally just throw a plant in my closet, turn on a fan, and run a light system and get high in fucking 15 weeks. But, by the way, the amount of people compared to those who are just traditionally going to purchase through a legal, legal tender, right, where it's being taxed and... The communities are making money literally from the local municipalities all the way up to the state level, all the way up to the federal level. Like, less people are going to grow it. More people are just going to buy it the easy way, and they get taxed out the asshole for it. Yes. I, like, yeah. truly, they're running in Los Angeles on cannabis alone that you could be paying up to 26% tax on every dollar you spend. Ooh. I mean, that's absolutely incredible. Yeah. No. So, like, I mean, you've seen what they've done in Denver. Yeah. you see. I mean, they've repaved every road in Denver's. Sweet. Beautiful. Based on cannabis alone. But put it back into drug rehabilitation programs. Sure. Put the money into schools, creating, you know, programs and studios and all these amazing things in schools. <sighs> Trades. Let's start. Listen, I'll go on this rant with you, too. I am so disgusted with what my daughter learns in school. Oh, it's I useless. only have her in school for social purposes. Mm -hmm. It's you just know. important to me that she socializes because I'm having to teach her what school's not teaching her that's going to matter in real life. You know what I mean? They're not, besides core math, English language, <laughs> presentation, the shit you gather by like the seventh grade. It's nothing. None of that shit. They're not going to remember any of it. They're never going to apply any of it. We're not teaching, excuse me, sorry. It's okay. It's last night's rainbow room coming <laughs> out of <fine>. Um <laughs> Just a little demon escape right there. It's <laughs> 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 fucking funny. <laughs> Talking about something so serum over burning tequila through my nose. Had a tequila bubble come through my snot box. Oh, I accidentally got it just. We had a ball last night. We'll go to that in a second. But I'm like, yo, school is just. Yeah, I just tell her. She's like, why don't you just let me come with you and hang out and teach me the workforce? And, you know, do it. I was like, Bailey, it's important for you to socialize. Like, I socialize with you all the time. I was like, not saying. Like, kids your age. Yeah. Like, you know, it's kind of important. <laughs> like, I get that you've been through a lot of shit. So you're already like a little, you know, by nature of yeah. her mother and me, she's a little more mature, you know? Mm -hmm. You like, still need it. It's like, it's just so important too, man. You know what I mean? It's like, you know. But they teach you nothing. They don't want you to learn how taxes or man, credit. I don't or how get to taxes out at all. W two or what a ten ninety nine is. Yep. That shit no, because matter. the truth is, if you don't pay, you actually end up paying more. Yeah. And if you don't know how to cheat the system, you end up paying more. Yeah, one hundred. So those who know, knowledge is power, right? Yeah, one hundred percent. So people rather keep people dumb. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Uh, can I switch topics completely? Yes. You're having so much success singing right now. Why are you rapping on Son of the Dirty South? Yay! It's awesome that you did that. So, Brantley 
some so Brantley Gilbert's a dear friend of mine. Yeah. Um, I think in the last 10, 15 years of music, who reminded me the most of like my path would be like the Brantley Gilberts and the Kid Rocks musically, mm-hmm. because they were kind of outlaws in their musical approaches, like you know how Kid Rock went from ball to the ball to pitcher and all summer long. Um, Brantley's kind of the same way. He always rode this real thin line of being a stone cold country boy, but with these crazy rocks riffs and like aggressive lyrics. So when we finally got to hook up, I was like, dude, I'd be honored to work with you. He had became a fan of mine through a song called fall in the fall with me and struggle. Jen is my best friend, which is a hip where I'm singing the chorus, but I'm rapping. Right. And he was like, dude, I just love it. If you did something like fall in the fall, I was like on the, you know, like the singing part. He's like, no, like when you, the double time rap shit. And it's like, to me, it was like a childhood hero of mine asking me to, I was like, for sure. Whatever you want. Like, yeah. no sweat, dude. Like, I'm just, I think that's so cool that you even know that song, that that's the reference yeah. you brought into this studio. You know? <laughs> and there's a side of me that, um, I, I went to the Atlantic Records BET Awards after party last night. You know, I'm, I'll always be a fan of hip hop. Mm-hmm. It'll always be a part of my culture and my neighborhood and, you know, growing up in my community, it wasn't just the soundtrack of the neighborhood. It was the style. It's lifestyle. Yeah, it's the life. You know, the, we had, like, B-boys in my brother's high school. You know what I mean? Like, you know, uh, Adidas tracksuit, graffiti <laughs> on trains in our neighborhood and trailer park. Well, in this song, park. you got the still tipping lyrics in there. Yeah, for sure, right? You, yep. you caught that? I caught the still tipping there lyrics. There we go, right? Yep. To me, it was an ode to the South. That's why I started with that this, that Southern playalistic, talking about the old Outcast record, yep. you know? And then I kept it down my country roots, you know, that, that Willie smoking, whiskey sipping. You got Southern that Mike Jones, Paul Wall in there? Yep, yep. Back rows, I'm still tipping. Wood wheel, I'm still gripping. I want to stop plays. <laughs> I went back to the old Pimp C stuff. Yeah, to me, it was just a chance to kind of, I don't know, it was also a chance for me to have more words to tell my story of where I'm from. Because mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool to, like, bring the references of, this is so cool, you really listen to the song. Yeah? Yeah, thank you. Um, most of you know how shit is. No, we, do, we, li- we yeah, listen most, around here. I know y'all are awesome, but you know, <laughs> we know how this shit is. You know what I mean? Like, tell us about your Walk song. Walk into a lot of rooms all the time. It's like, so I heard you dropped a new song, and they don't even know the name. Of it. You know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> they're not worth your time yeah, it's so sad um i wanted to like mesh all of these references of culture i think it's we're in a unique space in life where culture is not as tribal as it used to be mm. so my daughter can wear ariana grande shirt to school monday or nirvana shirt wednesday mm-hmm. and a co wetzel shirt friday and nobody would say nothing except for oh i love the seven ring song oh dude teen spirits awesome oh dude co wetzel kicks ass oh i love outcast right like instead of being like back in my day it was like you wore a metallica shirt yesterday you take that snoop dogg shirt off now and then they quiz you you pick one are you a metallica guy or snoop dogg guy? how many snoop dogg songs <laughs> it's only gin and juice you're not allowed to wear that shirt you know it's like it's so now we're in a place where it's like it's cool for people to be like yeah man i'm you know dude i'm Love Justin Bieber. Mm-hmm. I also think the baby's dope. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like I, you know, I'm a mood person. Like I might be in my car right now listening to James Taylor. I might pull up to the Troubadour bumping Money Bag Yo. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. for me, it was like infusing the core of these cultures too, like uh, referencing the old Houston music with the old Atlanta music. And then when I say I'm from a place where they mix rock, country, and hip hop, somewhere between Hank, 
Three Six and Kid Rock, uh, Johnny Cash, All Black, just that old school flavor, like just kind of referencing all of these wild scenarios of. Uh, I love whenever I spun into that. Uh, the boys from the holler do anything that they can do for a dollar. Pit bulls in the yard, broken down cars. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm just trying to descript a culture there, a setting of like how you can go from like this back road holler trailer park kind of pimping thing, you know? Does a verse like that come easy to you or does it take a while to really sit down and write it all out? They're the easiest. Really? Mm-hmm. Why, why is that? Uh, you just don't overthink them. Mm. You know, you're just telling a true story. You're just, I'm just painting a picture of what I know. Mm-hmm. The easiest story to tell is the truth, mm. right? Anytime you just tell a true story, now coming up with a story, that's a thing. You got to work on it, figure it out, find the ending, find the middle, punch lines, where's it funny, where's it not. That's why I respect comedians. But just telling a true story is like, oh, yeah, this is like a culture song. This is like the son of the dirty South. This is fucking easy. I'll just rap about everything that's like a part of our culture. Because I also think that Southern isn't a place in time. I think it's a state of mind. Mm. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that, like, it's South, but to me it's overall country, right? It's just that old kind of like, you know, it's just a – it's a lifestyle of, you know, I seen an old boy. He could have been from Northern California, but he was walking in last night into the bar, stopped me to take a picture, and, you know, he's wearing Ariat boots. And <laughs> I just knew him. As soon, I knew him walking. Before he got to me, I was like, yeah, that's an old country motherfucker right there. You know, and for all I know, he's from Utah. <laughs> you know what I mean? But he's as Southern as me, if you ask me. Do you write your rap over, are you, t- okay, do you get a piece of production and then create to it? And then find the story you're going to tell? Or do you, like, how did this song in particular start? This song started with uh, just every every song I've done the last probably five years started with just a guitar. Okay. And then we'll produce around it. So that's another reason I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of genre bending, is I don't set out to make a certain kind of song. I just pick up a guitar or piano, and we start to write a song, come up with a riff, noodle with it, see where it goes, and then by the time the song's finished, it'll be like, okay, this song's like clearly needs to be like, we need big 808s and like Son of the Dirty South was so easy. Once Brantley started strumming that guitar, I'm a son of the dirty South. And we started coming up with this concept. It immediately was like, okay, the track needs big 808s. Mm-hmm. And I know you wanted me to do some hip hop shit. So we definitely need 808s to stay true to the spirit of hip hop. And then it was just set it up in hip hop structure. But everything. A guitar or piano. So like Son of a Sinner, same thing. When we become, when whenever I get in a group text with y'all, you're going to hate me because I will send you songs once a week now of just Please. me and a guitar because every song of mine you've ever heard, Son of a Sinner, I yeah. put the demo on my album. Yeah. So you know a yeah. demo is like, for people that don't know, a demo is whatever your first take of the song is. And nine out of ten times, it's either an acoustic version or a really stripped version with fake drums. Just like when you're in the studio writing the song, you demo it to get the idea out. I loved the demo of Son of a Sinner so much acoustic that I put it on the album as the 10th track. But it's to show you, that's how that song started. Is it a reminder to yourself, that song? Oh, yes. 100%. For balance? Yeah. But the duality of life is so important. The same dude that's sitting here with y'all right now talking about justice reform and your desire and my desire and your desire for us to help try to change the world, that same guy. Drank until 3.15 this morning. I mean, we party. We went the fuck. I don't know where I ended up at. How about that? I don't, there's a, I got drunk twice yesterday. <laughs> By the way, I had two totally different drunks. I got drunk on the plane at seven in the morning and then 
handled some business here and then went out and got drunk again that night. You know what I mean? But that same dude like woke up, was lucky enough to get an IV. I feel incredible. I get to come here and hang out with some guys I admire and talk about cool stuff. To me, that's the duality of life, right? You know, the same dude that goes out doing shows and rocking and doing this rock shit is balanced out by making sure my daughter gets on the school bus in the morning. It's actually beautiful. I think we all live there a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think the song just kind of helps us own it, makes it a little more comfortable to be like, you know what? I'm not a bad person because I do what people would, because there's somebody right now that thinks me going out drinking last night was a bad thing. I'm not a bad person. I'm just somewhere in the middle between right and wrong sometimes, you know? Is I it, used to be all the way wrong. I think I'm killing it. That's it. Isn't you know that life, Isn't that <laughs> life though? Yeah, it's like, God. Who knows? T 20 years from now, me and you are sitting down talking about a song I wrote called All the Way Right. <laughs> maybe I've, maybe that's my final form. You come in, you you're wearing all white. Yeah, and I'm like a fat boot. I sit here Indian style. You know what I'm saying? I talk like Jay Shetty. You know what I'm saying? Well, I do see the vlogs. You are working out a bit. I am. I've lost a little weight. Congratulations. You know what's crazy? I'm going to lose weight for sure. Um, I'm, because I'm, I'm I'm not worried about my health. I go see my cardiologist a lot. I take care of my stuff. But I'm going to lose the weight because I want to feel better. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to do it different. I lost a lot of weight before and gained it back because I did it wrong. I crash it. Uh, I just like, you know, ate salmon and carrots mm -hmm. for like six months and lost a couple hundred pounds. Wow. You know, so this time I'm losing it slower, but I'm losing it the right way. Gotcha. You know what I mean? Does that start after Dead Man Walking? Yeah, that 100%. That quest? Yeah, for sure. Dead Man Walking was, that's what Dead Man Walking was about. Hard song for you to write or? It was a hard song to release. Really? Why? I write a lot of songs that I don't release. Because sometimes you just need to write them for yourself. You know, sometimes they're not meant for everybody, you know. All my songs are personal, but sometimes they're too personal, you know. And this? This one was just hard to release because, one, it's like when you put it out and you're already like, I don't know, I'm kind of owning some dark shit here. And then it ends up being your first single and goes to be your first number one on radio. <laughs> and you're like, no way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, What no do you learn way. in that moment? Well... I don't, this might be the first time you stumped me today because I'm still kind of reflecting on it and how that whole thing worked out because it was so, it's the, you know, I've dreamed my whole life to be on the radio. Never, never knew I'd end up on the radio, especially on multiple genres and formats. But to have a song go number one that was so, and Son of a Sinner is the same way. It's, it's officially in the top 25 of country radio this week. Mazel tov. Congratulations. Dude, thank you, brother. Getting in the top 25 on country radio. Huge. It's so hard. Oh, it's like pop radio. It's ah. impossible, especially for a debut artist. Oh. And it's even harder for me because I'm an artist with a nickname, face tattoos, and a criminal record on well, country radio. You, I'm the first in like six boxes. True. For to, to be on country radio. Um, rock radio was awesome. They were just, it was easy. They were good to me. But I've been playing rock festivals forever. Like I'm playing Aftershock in Sacramento this year. Like rock's kind of, you know, it's second nature for me. So as far as like they're you know I'm not the first dude. Yeah, you're not the first kinda, felon to to find their way. Yeah. No matter how fucked <laughs> up I got last night, I there's somebody I, I, on that chart that's more fucked up than you. Motley Crue. Yeah, you, know what I'm yeah, saying? you let them yeah. down. Yeah, for sure. There's no some, we went hard, and still Tommy Lee's younger version of himself like ha ha. You know what I'm you know, so. I mean, a song like that to be so personal and to have such great success, does it make you want to share more? Or yeah. it, just because I see how people. You know, I've always been vulnerable. It's always been a big part of my 
my thing with music is just telling people the truth, being honest through the power of music, being honest in dialogue and kind of letting the cards fall where they may. Save Me is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. I highly recommend that you listen to it. And by the way, there's going to be a link in the description below for all of Jelly Roll's music. What was it like singing that song at the Grand Ole Opry? Oh, insane. Yeah. Yeah, and I ugly cried. I'm Michael Jordan meme cry. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, it was insane. I'm still waiting for that picture to pop up on the internet one day of me crying at the Grand Ole Opry that goes like when In N Out runs out of burgers. You know what I'm saying? Like it's gonna be a meme. I ugly cry. But from like where you were to like to where you came, like it must have been incredible to be on there. Like I never would have thought this would have happened. No, and the best feeling was you you walk back, you never think you're gonna make it. Yeah. I don't know if you know this part of the story, but when I was in jail, there was a song called Almost Home by a guy named Craig Morgan. Mm-hmm. And the song is a depiction of them. You got to listen. It's a beautiful song. It'll make you cry. It's a depiction of a man waking up a homeless man that's in the snow, sleeping outside of a bank. And the guy, when he wakes the homeless man up, the homeless man looks at him and goes, hey, man, I just, I was on my way home. Like, I just turned the corner. I could smell fresh cobbler on my mother's stove when you like, leave me alone. I'm almost home. And uh, the song ends with the guy going, oh, man, you're going to freeze to death. Let me drive you to the mission. He says, boy, if you'd have just left me alone, right now I'd be fishing. Uh, and it's like, for a guy in jail, this was my song. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to come home to my newborn daughter. I'm in the darkest place of my life. It's like, I didn't realize I was in jail until I had a kid. It's the first time I, like, didn't want to be in jail. I was like, oh, my God, I got to go right now. How do I get out of here? So when I come home, I Google Craig Morgan live. He's playing the Grand Ole Opry. I go see him, sit in the seventh row, cry like a baby. <laughs> like, ugly cry again. Just like, I'm by myself. I got an ankle bracelet on. I'm on parole. I'm s- sitting next to, like, a bunch of grannies who are, like, on a bingo trip or something but in actually, Cincinnati. You know what I'm saying? That's crazy. And I'm, like, bawling, crying at the Grand Ole Opry. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to stand right there and I want to make somebody feel the way he's making me feel. Like I'd, I'd always wanted to play the Grand Ole Opry being from Nashville, but that was the first time it was like the vision was clear. Like I want to do that. Fast forward, I play the Grand Ole Opry the first night. My daughter's there. My wife's there. My mother's there. All my brothers are in town. The whole family's there. Standing ovation. 4,000 people. I'm talking about bingo players. I'm Because, you know, Grand Ole Opry caters an older crowd to a degree, right? Everybody's there. People are crying. I go back and play the Grand Ole Opry last week, second time. You ready for this? Yeah. I sing Almost Home with Craig Morgan. No way. Yes. He brings me on stage. <laughs> full circle moment of life. I stand on that stage and I sing Almost Home with Craig Morgan. Wow. I got goosebumps telling that again. I cried again. I have goosebumps. Craig cried. The people that worked at the Opry cried. 4,000 people cried. He gives me a handwritten lyric sheet of the song, framed. Just hung it up in my man cave before I came here. True story. That's dude. That's unbelievable. Un- nuts. Me and Craig Morgan, the song that did it for me. We tell the story on stage. We sing it together. It was incredible moment. One of the greatest moments ever. What do you? What do you I realize? never thought nothing would top my Opry debut. Yeah. No, that. That's... And then I go sing with Craig Morgan. I'm like, wow. Have you been to the Opry? No, I've just only watched it dozens of videos. Oh, I mean, it's the most iconic place. venue in Nashville. Oh, for sure. I would argue to say maybe like really close to the country. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I'd say it, Radio City Music Hall. Totally. Maybe, yes. Right. You know, if, if you think about like East Coast, like yeah. East to like the South. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Radio 100%. City and yeah, Grand Ole Opry. What do you think that is here? Um, 
you know, I was thinking maybe the forum real quickly. Um, but also like, but the forum may be a little bit too big. There's yeah. like the will turn is really well, yeah. like pretty famous. Yep. Uh, the Greek is really up there. Greek, yeah, the Greek thing. Hollywood Bowl Hollywood is up Bowl, there. Hollywood Bowl is a big one. But like, I don't. The truth These is are like, like iconic venues. Yeah, yeah, I'm but think it, about like the history of that's what I'm looking for that I can't necessarily put my finger on. And to be honest, like, I would say Troubadour maybe because yeah. it houses yeah. probably the most history in one concentrated place because there's a lot of options in this city of all different sizes. The history is rather scattered. Oh, for sure. But between Sunset Boulevard and Santa Monica, I mean. I can I can argue that for like popular music in the last like I don't know 10 15 years maybe 20 30 that's like one of the most famous two of the most oh, famous roads every ever yeah the last 50 for pop culture music easy yeah, for sure when I think about iconic venues these are the ones I think about I think about Madison Square Garden mm. I think about the Ryman Auditorium and the Grand Ole Opry I even think about the Ryman but you're yep, right yep I think about the Red Rocks I was gonna yes the Gorge in Washington I, it's a beautiful spot. I'll show you a picture for you. Please. It's like, it's like Red Rocks in Washington. It's like in a gorge on a river. It's, it's awesome. beautiful. Holy shit. Um, the the uh, Hollywood Bowl. Mm -hmm. The Hollywood Bowl to me and the Greek Theater, the Wiltern, all of these iconic spots. That's why I plan the Troubadour was so important. I mean, that is about. really, like, in terms of concentrated history, though, dude, like, that has it going back for sure no a that, long time no i go to the rainbow room every time i'm here just because i'm such a fan of rock and roll the attic is a great venue up there just went up there last night great venue smack drunk sure. <laughs> stopped love. in the roxy seen a fucking like death metal band <laughs> yes. in minnesota or something just because i was there that's a great i mean yeah for sure god really i i mean <laughs> Easily the, for popular music the most iconic couple miles in america One, in the world easy for sure wild no dude dreams dreams were made bands were broke true right there on sunset in hollywood ballads of the broken is that your most i mean is there a project that you're the most proud of oh yeah well here's my rule if my favorite song i've ever written isn't on my most recent album i'm gonna quit mm. so that's is that your threshold that you have to kind of cross in order to release a, a body of work yep i have to feel like even if it's not better, because like the problem with saying better, I guess, is some songs will never compare, yeah. right? Like, "Son of a Sinner" will all. I mean, uh, "Save Me" will always be. Is that the best song you've ever written? I think it's as of the today? most impactful. But all signs say that "Son of a Sinner" is going to be a bigger streaming song, mm. right? This is just you know. Do you, do you being a data nerd? Do you use data to inform your own personal opinion? For sure, because I want to make sure that I'm for the live performance alone. I just want to make sure that whatever I'm doing is what people want me to do. So I'm always watching analytics to make sure that, you know, my set list isn't selfish. Mm -hmm. I, get, I understand. You know, I don't want somebody to come to a Jelly Roll show because I'm the guy that didn't look at numbers and was like really wanted to hear the ninth <laughs> biggest stream song in my catalog. I blew it and played the 20th biggest dream song in my catalog because it's my favorite you know what i'm saying <laughs> so, respect because a lot of artists wouldn't give a shit yeah yeah and it's also like the the art of putting together a set list it's fun yeah so it's like i want to know where son of a center's at because i want to know when it's the day i can close my show with it is that a goal for the song for sure that's the goal the goal is that i want an arena of people waiting on correct i want to be able to do save me in the middle of my set and yes. not walk the room boom Right, because right now I'm walking the room. I do save me tonight at Troubadour, 25 minutes in. Everybody who's got to be at work tomorrow that just came to see me or that is gone. I walk the room. 100 mm -hmm. kids walk out right then. You oh, think so? Seeing what we came to see. Oh, for sure. 
right? Because, you know, if you give them a good first half of the show and you drop it in the middle, people will walk. Yeah. You know, I've left concerts early. <laughs> because you saw what you wanted to yeah, see. Yeah, because I was like, yo, I've seen every song. There's maybe one or two I haven't seen, but, you know, the majority of what I came to see, he played. Let's beat traffic. Let's, <laughs> get, let's get out of here. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know. Uh, I also have this thought process with live shows. And <laughs> I imagine the pain in the ass it took for this person to be there. Yeah. And it makes me take that show so much more serious. Like I know how hard it is for me and my wife to get a night out where businesses is crazy, where it can just be me and her. And we can, you know, I know what it's like to save money for a concert, have to think about the parking, book a hotel room, drive two hours to the closest city. It's a commitment. Land, get a babysitter. This poor guy had to go talk to his mother-in-law <laughs> Beg her to watch the kids for him and his wife to have a night out. I owe them. I can imagine her. She's Amazon Prime three outfits. She's picking one. She's doing her hair in the mirror. She's going to go stand in the heat to wait in line to see my show. Man, I know her, dude. But that thought process is what makes the experience that much better and that much different, but also yeah. draws you closer to the people that you're there to serve. 100%. And that's the biggest thing. You said it. That quote should be every artist's thing, the people we are there to serve. Yeah. They don't look at these people as souls. They look at them as numbers. And that's gross. Yeah, they look at ticket sales like a number, like, oh, great, we sold 1,000, you know, 20,000 tickets. It's like, that's 20,000 souls. That's 20,000 stories. That's 20,000 heartbreaks. That's 20,000 great days, bad days, rough weeks, hard working, not working, drug addict, not addicted, Truth. just got sober. That's 20,000 stories. People need to remember that. Every fucking time. Go see Jelly Roll. Uh, are you going to do a tour? Oh, yeah. I'll be back here in September with Shine Down about an hour up the street. We're playing the Honda Center. Oh, yeah. I'll come swing by and hang and bang. Yes, yes, yes. Um, me and Shine Down, I'm opening for them for the for the fall. We're doing like 37 dates. Me and Brantley Gilbert have a show Thursday in Florida. Holy shit. So I'm on my way to go see Brantley now. We're doing the Son of the Dirty South tour. And uh, we're hanging. So, yeah, I'll literally fly from coast to coast. <laughs> Here the next day. By the way, we're going to put a link in the description below. You can listen to Jelly Roll's music. Also, all the tour dates are going to be down there. Uh, my last question is, is it an insult or a compliment to be called white trash? <laughs> I own it. Yeah. It's awesome. Because I've yeah, heard you mention it a couple times. I am white trash, dude. I think we all are. <laughs> I agree with that. Right? So here's my Chelsea Handler story. Okay. Chelsea Handler and me are friends. Before we were friends, they asked me to be on one of her Netflix <laughs> And uh, she was doing this thing called Hello Privilege to Chelsea to talk about white privilege. And they brought her to my barber shop in Antioch. Oh, you got to watch this. I think I've seen it. Oh, it's classic. She walks into the barber shop. It's a black barber shop in Antioch. My barber, whoa, is a friend of mine for life, is wearing a Trump shirt. He's doing it as a complete gag, right? Because none of us have political opinions. We're all anti-establishment. In general, every president we've ever had, we're anti-government. I'm anti-government until I get my right to vote back. But um, rightfully so. Yeah, you know. So till then, I, I I refuse to talk politics at all. You have no say. So. Yeah, I have no. Don't ask me. Well, you could rally people. Yeah, to back the government. To me. Yeah, that'll work. But um, so she walks in and she just sits down and I'm like, we're talking. She's like, a white rapper and a black Trump supporter. I was like, oh, you're judging us. It's like you're came in here being mighty judgmental. She's she's wearing he's wearing that shirt to f with people. And I was like, Chelsea, you're just as white trash as I am. She's like, I'm Jewish. I was like. And you're white trash. <laughs> she was like, how? And I was like, I've read your books. You have made a living talking about your pussy. 
you are white trash. You know what I'm saying? I was like, let's be honest here. And it was so funny because if you watch this, in the middle of it, she has a moment where she's like, I guess I am a little white trash, <laughs> right? And she like owns it. And we've been best, like bestest of friends since then. And I have that talk with everybody. You know what I mean? It's like there is there's a little bit of white trash and the clips, the fact that you have this beautiful production and all this success and that y'all still set up that little thing and clip that little black thing right oh, yeah, This place is trashy as hell if you see right? from the outside. It's just a little white trash, yeah. right? Let's just be honest, right? There's a little hint, no matter how successful we are. I say this all the time. But listen, one of my best friends from my neighborhood right there, he's a six foot three black dude. He's a little white trash, right? He's just a little white trash, you know? He gets it. You know what I'm saying? He does stuff all the time. I'm like, you're looking like my family now. You're acting like one of my cousins over there, you know? So it's like, you know, yeah, I don't know. I think it's funny. And I think it's also, we have to take control of the things that were meant to hurt us. Mm. Amen. And life in general, right? We have to take control of that. I'm a big comedy fan because I love that their rule is like, we just don't take nothing serious. So it's like every, they just, they don't, you know, to me, that's my thing. It's like, I used to be hurt when I was broke and I was a poor kid and somebody would be like, oh, they're just white trash. And it infuriated me. And then one day I was like, yeah, but we're kind of awesome though. Mm -hmm. Like y'all kind of suck. You know what I'm saying? Like it just hit me one day. I was like, we're having so much more fun. We're so much funnier. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like we could really, we could, we could beat y'all in everything except for money. <laughs> we could beat y'all up. We could beat you in a drinking contest. We're more athletic. It's like, it's like, we're actually way cooler than the not white trash white people. You know what I'm saying? It's like, shit. And then I kind of owned it. It never hurt me no more. Now it's like, I own it, you know. And it's also one of those things like, what are you going to say about me, man? Yeah. I am who I am. I wear my story. You can't offend me, dude. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't yeah, but there's beauty in that. Yeah, and there's like, confidence in it's that. freedom. Yes. I am... I have the confidence of a male model with a six pack and a big one. You know what I'm saying? For sure. You know, and, and you like, look good. Thank you. you I do feel look good. good. You look good. Right, you this is how I look hungover. Imagine me when I feel fresh from uh, the salad. I'd love you know to see it one day. <laughs> I genuinely appreciate you giving your, us your time and energy today. Stop really, it, dude, you're acting like you didn't do me a favor having me on here. No, no, no. Thanks I really, you, I mean, if you have any idea of who we have on, you know, everybody has their own story and they're very different. Nobody like you. So, yeah, um, without truly. a doubt, one of the most fascinating conversations we've had in a very long time. Thank y'all. Yeah. Hey. We thank you very much. I hope it translates to y'all. I hope y'all feel the same way. Leave a comment so I control y'all. <laughs> Please <laughs> leave a comment. And, you know, this conversation lives first on this new radio app that we're on. It's with Amazon. It's called Amp. And then I'll live on Amazon Music too and on YouTube. So, Yay. I really appreciate you doing this. Good stuff. Thank you. Shout out to Amazon Music, by the way. Yeah. I mean, you, they definitely love you over there. They have been great to me yes they have been great to me that is uh i'm not allowed to say i have a favorite platform but hot country oh man <laughs> they're it alexa they're yeah. they're great yeah a new country yeah for sure <laughs> jelly roll by the way listen to the music link in the description below you can also talk tell alexa to play it alexa's talking back there now uh, alexa stop <laughs> i really alexa's appreciate you jelly roll, <laughs> jelly roll everybody thank you sir thank you baby. yeah baby Hello, beautiful human. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation with Jelly Roll. I genuinely appreciate it. Seriously, thank you for taking the time. And let us know what we can do better and who we should have on the show next. At Zach Sang Show on any form of social media, we are always around. Please subscribe to our podcast, share it with those you care about, and be safe. Hug your family if you can and have a great day. Today's show is hosted and executive produced by Zach Sang. 
He was also executive produced by Michael D. Ratner, Scott Ratner, Dylan Martyr, Dan Zolot, Joshua Rusak, and Olivia Rudensky. Music by James Ashuto. Senior producer, Caitlin Plummer. Associate producer, Eve Bishop. Production sound mixing on today's show was done by Alex Goins, Nico Pierce, and Joseph Hartshorn. Sound mixing was done by Daniel Chavez-Crook and Ivan Wayman. Post-production manager was Caroline Rude. Production manager was Michelle Doristock. And our production coordinator was Bryce Herless. And that was an episode of The Zach Sang Show. Talk to you soon. <laughs>